So that's what uh, we looked at last time. And so we, we basically made our way through uh, Hosea and uh, chapter 1, in which also the children are given different names. There's Jezreel, and then there is the one that is referred to as No Mercy, and then finally the one that is referred to as Not My People, in, in Hebrew names, obviously. But then we quickly observed a, a turn of uh, thinking on the part of God, uh, especially when we came to verse 10. Uh, in fact, it goes all the way to chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, when he begins to again get back to the promises that he made to the, uh, the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he was still, God was still keeping his side of the promise and that therefore Israel was, the, the people of God were going to be like the sand of the sea and cannot be measured or numbered. And really, um, even this one of chapter two is part of that. Say to your brothers, you are my people and to your sisters, you have received mercy. That is in contrast to what was said earlier on in those two names of uh, the children of Hosea. One of them, which was the daughter in verse 6, were told, call her no mercy. And yet here we are being told you will receive mercy. And then the third child, who was a son, it is said, that she was, or rather he was to be called not my people. And now God is saying there, say to your brothers, you are my people. So clearly God is saying, I am remaining faithful in the midst of your unfaithfulness. And he's using that to plead with the people of Israel that they might come back to him. Well, today... We are continuing, and if you've noticed the title of my sermon, uh, it may have been there a little earlier on. It is Our God Disciplines and Restores. Our God Disciplines and Restores. I will begin by just reading verse 2, and then we'll make our way through the chapter as we proceed. Verse 2, plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her warring from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. What is happening here? The best way to think about it is that uh, between the, the last verse, which is chapter 2 and verse 1, and then chapter 2 and verse 2, what you have is Hosea coming home, finding his children in the house, but Goma is gone. She has left. She has gone to be with her lovers. And as a result, Hosea now, who had been pleading all along with 
the, the wife to, to amend her ways. Remember, this is a picture of what is happening in Israel. So he's been pleading with her for some time. And now she still goes ahead to do the worst. And that is to abandon sheep altogether. And what is worse is that she leaves even her children. What kind of woman is that? That she abandons her husband, she abandons her children for this, uh, for the lovers that she has. So, the response of uh, God, obviously, to the people of Israel, but in this particular case, the, the response of Hosea uh, is to say to his children now that, look, I have taken the decision. This is over. This is over. But you, she is still your mother. And therefore, you now go to your mother and speak to them, to her. Plead with your mother. Plead. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her warring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Maybe she will listen to you. You who are, are her children. Perhaps she will listen to you when you speak to her that way. Now, as we make our way through this, what we will see is in a parallel situation. On one hand, we will see what Hosea seeks to do beyond this in order to bring his wife back. So even when he has said, I've divorced her, he still acts in order to bring her back. But on the other, somewhere as we are going, you won't miss the fact that actually Hosea is with one eye speaking to Israel. Every so often, he will bring out the actual idolatry that is taking place in Israel in order to make it clear that this is not just me and my wife, this is God speaking to you as Israel, saying, come back to me. Uh, the best way to divide this chapter is in two parts. And that is, from verse 3 down to verse 13, you have God disciplining, or, in this particular case, Hosea taking painful measures in order for um, Goma to finally have her back against the wall and say, I'm heading back to Hosea. Things are better there. And then the second part is uh, from verse 14 to verse 23. And there it is God restores. Or, again, in the immediate context, Hosea is now one hand in order to punish his wife, he's now using the other hand in order to say, come home, come home, I still love you, 
I still want to be with you. That's one way in which you can subdivide it. Another way, which we are going to follow uh, in a few minutes, is that, uh, first of all, Hosea makes the, the point that um, he, his, his wife um, has gone astray, and he's going to take three measures to bring her back. Three measures. One of them is, begins from verse 6, Another begins from verse 9, and then the other begins from verse 14. If you look in your Bibles, each of those verses begins with the phrase, therefore. I hope you've seen that. Uh, verse 6 begins, therefore, I will hedge her up. Verse 9, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, verse 14, therefore, behold, I will allure her, and so on. So, the thing is, prior to this point, Ozea is stating facts. This is what has taken place. But then, beyond verse 6, he begins to speak in terms of, I will... I will, I will. This is what I am going to do in order to bring her back. It still ties in with what I gave you the first time because of the fact that the first two are disciplinary. The first two I wills. They are going to be painful. And then the last I will is one that is sort of throwing in uh, honey. And in a sense, the title of my sermon could have been Our God Disciplines in Order to Restore. Our God Disciplines in Order to Restore. So because it's not two different things. I'll try this and I'll try the other as well. It is in fact the same. One thing after the other finally meant to bring Goma back. Okay, so that's the way it is, but uh, let us proceed and see how we go. So I have said that Hosea comes home. The children report back, mom has been gone. She's been gone for days. She didn't say where she has gone, and Hosea obviously knows what has taken place. And as I said, he, he had done what he could to plead with her, nothing was happening. And so now, as he says, speaks to his children, he basically says, you go and plead with her because I am now going to expose her. I'm going to embarrass her publicly. I'm going to take the kind of step that's going to make everybody realize what is happening, much to her embarrassment. And number one, we will notice, is to do with herself, but number two is that even you, the children, I'm going to send you away. After all, you are children born in the context of adultery. So, it is meant 
to be against shock treatment to Goma. Let's quickly read that, beginning with verse 3. After saying <clears throat> um, that she put away her warring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, he says, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born, which is basically just removing her clothing from her in public, and make her like a wilderness, and, and make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. And that picture now has to do with withdrawing everything that I have ever given her, whether it's clothing or food or a roof and so on. And then he adds, Upon her children also, I will have no mercy, because they are children of wardom. For their mother has played the war. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. In other words, here is this woman who cares nothing about her covenant relationships. Nothing. All she's thinking about is her own pleasure and her own temporal benefits. That's all she's thinking about. And as you well know, when, when men are enticing uh, a, a woman, they will be extravagant. They, they will give and give and give so that she really thinks, wow, this is where her real love is. Naughty Kunyumba. There, you know, they, they even count the money and, and the change when they are giving you money. So that's the, the attitude that she's just thinking in terms of these benefits. And Hosea is, as it were, saying, uh, 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 you want her. Talk to her. Because I am going to make a public spectacle of this. I think all of you, if you've ever read either social media or uh, you know, listened to gossip in compounds, you will know that this is the kind of thing that happens. When, when a man reaches desperation, he just says, okay, I will sort her out. He leaves the home, he goes where this woman is, if she's in a bar or wherever it is, and he causes confusion there. Maybe even strips her naked. And it's, it's just a complete disaster that takes place in that moment. That's the kind of picture that is here. But at this point, it's a threat. He is saying, this is what I'm threatening to do. You go and tell her. Well, God now, through Zia, speaks about the actual steps that he is going to take. The actual steps. So this is now beyond mere threats. And as we said, there are three steps. The very first one is that he was going to, that is the therefore that we find in verse 6. He is going to hedge her up. He is going to take the kind of step that will um, frustrate her, 
so that those same benefits he's talking about here, I'll go to my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Now she will not find those same lovers. She will be hedged in. Let's quickly read this. Verse 6 down to verse 8. Therefore, I will hedge her up, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will, I will go and return to my first husband. There it is. You can see that the aim is that of restoration. For it is better for me then, it was better for me then than now. Even if he was counting the change, it was definitely better than it is now. And then he goes on to say, and she did not know. It was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold. And then there is the betrayal of what's happening, which they used for Baal. Let's quickly then apply this, um, and you'll appreciate. First of all, with respect to uh, the people of Israel themselves, remember what God is threatening is taking them into captivity. That is what he is threatening. And once they are taken into captivity, they are taken away from the actual land where they were putting up their, their bowels, their, their idols. They will be taken away and forced to be in that land of captivity. And they won't have the freedom that they've had in the promised land to go back to their idols. They won't have it at all because when you are under colonial masters, you are at their beck and call. You can't just go anywhere where you want. In other words, yes, I am coming in and I'm going to put a hedge between them and their idolatry. But remember what I said, that really the best application of all this is to uh, God's people in a backslidden state. God's people in a backslidden state. Either as individuals, one by one, or collectively as God's people who, are, uh, as a church, have become lukewarm. They, they have... Uh, began to treat church and worship as secondary. There's something more important. You know, the, the Shipolopolos are playing Germany or something today. So, sorry, church, out of the window, we need to see uh, our girls performing. And so, that becomes the attitude of the church. And nobody seems to see anything wrong whatsoever with uh, these idols that are beginning to 
to grow in the context of the church. It's a weekend. You know, weekend is when we go kufamu. So instead of being at church, we are out there now uh, doing our extra to uh, make ourselves rich. And therefore, God's work and God's worship has gone down and down and down. Well, what does God do when Israel does a thing like this? We've already seen. What does he do when Christians, individual Christians, tend to idols and and that's what they, they make as number one. What does God do when the church collectively uh, backslides in that way? Well, first of all, as we've already seen here, he, he deliberately brings in frustration. He brings in frustration so that the very thing they are seeking after, finally, they fail to get they fail to get. Uh, one uh, obvious example is uh, that of an unequal yoke that fails to reach the wedding day. So the, the Miss Beautiful or Mr. Handsome changes his mind at the very last minute. And there you are. You, you've abandoned fellowship. You've abandoned church. Perhaps you've even been excommunicated and then just before you get to the wedding, bam, uh, you don't even reach it. Or if we can think in terms of uh, uh, the job or, or the, the farming activity, uh, you've done everything. You've planted now and you're saying bumper harvest is going to come and so on. And then uh, the, the, there are no rains. And so in the end, the very thing you are wanting to finally reach out to, God puts a hedge around, and there is a failure to get there. Maybe it's a job that you are selling your body for so that you can finally get this job that is the prized job. And then just before you get there, that same person to whom you are selling your body is transferred, demoted, fired, or whatever it is. And consequently, you don't get there. Don't get there. We can multiply examples, but the point that God is bringing out is that that's his first step, is, is to, to bring in frustration. To bring in frustration so that the, the, the benefit that is being chased after is, is not happening. And that's making that person or God's people begin to look back, begin to look back. I've often given this example when Kabata Baptist Church was still meeting in the community hall. And uh, in those days, Kalushabwalia was the name, Kalushabwalia. And I think the, the, the last match, Zambia had played uh, Italy. And I think we had won, is it 4-1 or 4-0? But it was a major uh, achievement. And uh, that Sunday morning, Zambia was playing again. And I remember getting to church. And uh, in those days, we used to bring everything with us, the hymn books and the, 
the lectern was brought and, and everything else, clean up the, the community hall because the previous day there would have been a drinking party. It was just a complete disaster. And I remember, you know, arriving there with, with my, my sermon. You know, they've said fresh out of the microwave, but they don't think there are microwaves in those days. It was hard work. And arrive, and the whole place was not ready at all. And no hymn books. My pulpit wasn't even there. And then Zambia lost. In fact, before even the final whistle, the people said it tristly. Streaming in, including the deacons with my pulpit in their hands. <laughs> I've never forgotten, it's never happened to me like that. I got in the pulpit, I was supposed to start preaching, I just started crying. I cried and cried like nobody's baby. One of the deacons came to see me afterwards in in thorough repentance and said the thing that I was hoping for the Lord took it away and instead he showed me my pastor crying and we were together there he wept like a baby but that often happens you see as a way in which God is bringing you back to your senses, bringing you back to your senses. It is that the very thing for which you've abandoned a, a genuine, faithful, intimate relationship with God finally does not bring the joy, the fulfillment, and the satisfaction you were longing for. The, as a next step, we come then to the second therefore, which is still in the context of discipline. He not only frustrates you, but he actually deprives you even of that which you would have had. He, he, he takes back, as it were, that which at one time you were even treating as secondary, as, as something right at the bottom. He now deals with it. And here it is in um, verse 9 down to verse 13. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I'll take away my wool and my flax. Remember, it's his actually that she was having, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. Again, there is a betrayal that he is dealing with Israel, because really in the end they were playing it double. On one hand, they had their idols, and on the other, they were still maintaining the outward forms of uh, their religion. 
And he's saying, I'm going to take all that away. And obviously, you know what that has to do with. It is when they are now taken into captivity, it is not simply access to the idols that will be taken away. It is even access to the temple that will be taken away from them. That which you were playing with as a secondary item, that is also taken away. Deprivation. Verse 12. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest. This is God saying, I'm turning them into a forest. And the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the bowels. Okay, so that was the idolatry. When she burnt offering to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and, after, and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Deprivation. Deprivation. Again, it's not simply that God wants to punish and just get rid, or in this particular case, obviously, um, this is betraying something of uh, Hosea and Goma. But it is a step to get her back, to get her back. So even that which at one time I was giving to her, I'm now going to close off completely. Let's see those lovers of yours do what it is you think they will do for you. Now, it happens when a woman abandons her actual real home, looking down on it, and is enjoying what's happening out there. Well, as soon as those men have got what they wanted, they even stop answering the phone. Hmm? Out of coverage area. They even change SIM cards. They start saying, no, you're bothering me. You're bothering, bothering you. It was you who came to say you love me. And that initial standard is there, that standard of life. And it now goes from the, the Mercedes-Benz that she was given, it comes down perhaps to a Lexus, comes to a Toyota Corolla, comes to a bicycle, comes to nothing. The, the guy's changed his mind. He even said, saying, no, you know, my wife is making a lot of noise about uh, this friendship. You know, it's, it's not nice. <laughs> and so she begins to realize that the real relationship is that which I had with the husband I despised. With the husband I despised. The best illustration of this is uh, the prodigal son. You remember the prodigal son. He, he did not want to live in the context of the home with the, the regulations and accountability structures that were there. He didn't want to do that. And so uh, he, he got his share and off he went to go and live a life 
that the Bible refers to as riotous living. Riotous living. Abandoning the home. Well, it's not long before that money finishes. But that's not all. It's not long before famine hits the land. Completely nothing that the guy has to now accept what a Jewish youth cannot accept. And it is to have direct dealings with pigs. That's how low he reaches. He finds himself now as a hired hand feeding pigs, even wishing that he could eat something of what the pigs are eating. And it was in the midst of that that he now says, you know what? What I've left is actually better than this. Not even just as a son. It's even better as a hired hand. The, the, the hired guys at my father's house have a, a, a better deal than what I'm having here. I think, let me just go back. Let me just go back and say to him, treat me as one of your hired men. At least it will be better than staying here and starving to death. Often that's what happens with respect to backsliding. Let me quickly begin with the wider context. The church, God brings persecution. And bringing persecution, the churches are closed down. And the people now cannot meet for worship. The worship they took for granted is now not available. They begin to realize they should not have taken this worship for granted. But it's the same with uh, a person who is um, um, at an individual level and backslidden. One thing that often happens is excommunication takes place. And when excommunication happens, the, the, the taking of the church for granted, the church is now taken away from the person completely. They try to somehow make out and try and try and try, and they just realize the fellowship they once had, the fellowship they took so much for granted, is no more. They feel the thirst, the hunger, for that which meant so much for them, and they cannot get it. All this is God acting in restoration. It's God saying, you took what I was giving you for granted. I've taken it away from you. That you might see the need to come back to me to come back to a genuine walk with myself. Well, let's quickly go on to the third, because as we saw in chapter 1, God acts 
in judgment, in discipline, in punishment for the purpose of restoration. It is remedial. He, he, he wants us back because he's a loving God and he wants that relationship to be restored. So, God wants a relationship to be best 100% on and him having our hearts. Him having our hearts. Anything other than that, he is not accepting. And that's why he is acting in this way. And so from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, we now see God acting to bring back his people. And notice the third therefore. The third therefore. Therefore, I will allow her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards. So there is the restoration beginning to take place. And make the valley of Akko a door of hope. Now, the valley of Akko, uh, some of you might remember when Pastor Swali was preaching on Ekan, is the place where Ekan, the valley rather, where Ekan was stoned to death. So, there's no hope there. In the actual valley that was finally named Akko, the name Akko simply means trouble. There was no hope. It, it, was, it was the end upon being taken there. The end. You were, you were stoned to death. You met your final trouble. And he's saying, but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm turning it around. So it will become a door of hope. It's the access through which all this is going to happen. And there she shall answer in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. You remember when God said, let my people go. And in the midst of all that trouble, they marched out and went into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And he's saying, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be this hope. This is what I am working towards, your restoration. And verse 16 and verse 21 have that little phrase, and in that day. And in that day. In other words, that's where God has set his eyes. There's a lot that is wrong right now. There's going to be punishment. There's going to be frustration. There's going to be deprivation. There's going to be all these things. But I've got my eyes on the day when she will be restored back to me. The restoration is in chapter 3, but we won't get there today. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my bow, which is the ones that they were having um, idol as idols. For I will remove the names of the bows from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. 
And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. And the covenant is basically that they will not destroy the things that belong to them. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Have you noticed how we've gone from Hosea talking to his wife and found in a very subtle way we've slipped right into exactly what God wants to concentrate on. And it is this, Israel, Israel, that you might be restored to me. And you shall know the Lord. Verse 21 down to the end there. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. Now here, he is basically playing with the names of the children of, um, of Hosea here. You remember there was the valley of Jezreel in verse 4 of chapter 1. And then, and I will saw her for myself in the land. And then, and I will have mercy or no mercy... That one again, you remember, is the name of the daughter. And I will say to not my people, that is the son, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. The final restoration. And what a joy it is, brethren, that that's the way God deals with backsliders. Real spiritual backsliders. It's never to finally destroy. It is to bring back. It is to bring back to an honest, genuine, sincere walk with himself. Two words, and with that I must conclude. First of all, it is this, that God has entered into covenant relationship with us, he takes that covenant seriously. He does. When we begin playing with sin or playing with idolatry, in other words, making him second to some other agenda, if we are not really his children, in other words, we, we claim to be Christians, but we are not, he doesn't mind. Because we are not. We simply go where we belong. But if we are truly his children, he will act. And we will be sorry that we played with sin. That we made him secondary in our lives. Because it will be painful. It will be. Read your Old Testament and see what it did with Israel. It's painful. 
when their own children were being dashed against rocks and being killed in their own sight, when their wives were being raped while they are looking. We should not play because God, if we are truly his, will teach us a lesson, teach us a lesson to bring us back. Number two, it's that he's a God who restores. In other words, on one hand, when a backslider or even an excommunicated person comes back, we often think, you know, people are now playing games. They go and sin and then, you know, they come back. They go and sin and then they come back. They are playing games. Yeah. Those who are not truly converted can play games. But those who are, while they've been in the far country, they have shed a lot of tears. They have learned one lesson. And it is this, God wants the whole of me or nothing. And although life may never be the same again on the outside, on the inside, in the heart, they've learned a lesson they will never forget. Never forget. Because God is saying, I love you with an eternal love. You must be mine. So on one hand, it is saying, let's not go there. Let's not attempt to go there because we'll have scars to tell the tale. But on the other, if we are already there, God is saying, come. I'm a God of a second chance. If you've really learned your lesson, there's no need for you to remain in the far country. Come, I am a forgiving God. As it says here, I will allure her, and the valley of Acre will be the place or the door of hope. So if I'm speaking to somebody today who's looking at uh, broken systems and thinking, let me head that way. I think I will have more happiness, more joy, more this than this God. I'm saying, don't! What you're looking at is a fool's paradise. On the other hand, if you are there and you are deeply regretting, I'm saying it's an act of God that he has brought about frustration, deprivation, and is now saying, come back. You've learned your lesson, come back. That you might be a warning to others, come back. I want us to go forward together. And may our response be one of a genuine heartfelt promise. As we shall be singing in our closing hymn. Oh Jesus, I have promised to save thee to the end. To save thee and thee alone 
to the end. Amen.